Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. live to in much less detail the podcast where we cut through the noise and give you your nfl breakdown in much less detail here with you live on a wednesday night january the 25th 2017 i'm dre he's jay one of us was the man on the scene for the nfc title game in atlanta and one of us has a wife who's a huge packers fan and was also on the scene one of us had a great time at that game the other not so much and Jay, you're the man. You give all the reporting and all the scenes, the sights and sounds, everything that happened for that wonderful trip that you guys took from Wisconsin to Atlanta for the NFC title game last Sunday, won easily by the Falcons over the Packers. What in the world was that like for you guys? Well, I can tell you how it was for me. And it was it was it was fun. I mean, I had a great time. I mean, we drove down to, uh, we drove straight through from uh, central Wisconsin down to Atlanta on Saturday. Uh, That's a long day. Uh, You know, we left our house a little bit after six o'clock in the morning. We got down to Atlanta. Oh, God. I I mean, I, I barely remember what time I got there. All I know is I got to bed and it was after 1 a.m when I got to bed. So it was a long day, it was a long day of driving, uh, good weather, you know, just hitting the road and uh, determined to get there. And we made it there finally. Uh, amazing how much traffic there was on a Saturday night for the last four or five hours of that drive. Um, we, 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 we wondered if it was other uh, people doing the same thing we were doing, driving for the game. But that, that would be a lot to ask all those folks to do. But there were a lot of Packers fans at the game, so I wouldn't be too surprised if that ended up being some of the extra traffic. But very, uh, very busy day driving down Sunday. Uh, we, we quote, unquote, slept in. And uh, we're still up at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, and the, which is very, you know, 7.30 Eastern time, 6.30 our time. It's exactly the same time we would normally be up. Uh, went and had a great, uh, great brunch uh, with my dad and his wife, and uh, made our way down to the Georgia Dome and found a found a parking spot. Interestingly enough, the same little parking lot that I parked in the last time I was there twelve years ago, because it was sort of this little hidden gem parking area, which I'm not going to tell anybody where it was, but it was right off the main street that goes by the Georgia Dome, about a block off. You had parking going down to the stadium from about probably one to two miles away. Uh, you were already starting to see the places, you know, and you can see it just like you go anywhere, increasing prices, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. you start off at 20, 
excuse me, by the time you got right up close to the stadium, it was 80 um, mm. was the highest price that we saw for a parking spot. So we paid right about in the middle. We were at $40, but we were only a block away, roughly, uh, from the stadium. And the amazing part was we, we get out of the game. There's traffic everywhere. We literally jumped in our car and pulled right out on the street and drove away. And basically it hardly any traffic. Uh, the rest. So hopefully that, that, that doesn't uh, get messed up with the new stadium, uh, which I got a chance to see. Obviously it's not finished, but it's a, it's an absolute monster. Uh, Mercedes Benz field or arena, whatever they're calling it is, it, it is immense. I mean, it took the Georgia dome, which was a big building, although a, Albeit a very plain-looking, you know, very utilitarian structure, the Georgia Dome not not the not the sexiest arena, um, and you have the new stadium, which is all sort of space age looking with all these crazy angles, but it just looks immense sitting next to the old building. Um, made our way, you know, made our way in, got up to our seats. My wife, of course, was all pumped up. She was try- she kept trying to bet me. You know, all sorts of like housework and stuff like that. I I declined it. I said, you know what? I I don't want to do deal with that. I you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. I didn't want to be in a situation where, you know, one of us had to unfortunately be the loser, and I didn't want the loser to be me. Um, although <laughs> I did feel conf- although I did feel confident in a Falcons win. Um, you know, in the game we, we go through all the pregame, excellent rendition uh, on the saxophone. Uh, by the of the Star Spangled Banner, I wish I could tell you who did it, but it was it, was, it got the crowd in a in a roar, and it was it was a a good crowd. I mean, it was a really good home crowd. The pe- crowd, the people came out for that team. And Atlanta is not typically a town known for its sports fans or its uh, sports loyalty. And uh, I can tell you at quite a few part, uh, points during that game that, that that stadium was was vibrating. My wife commented to me a few times that she thought the upper deck was going to collapse because she could feel the shaking in the arena. Now, again, this is not a, uh, a you know, her, her comparison to this is Lambo here, which is basically just a bowl. You know, it's a very, it's like a college stadium, the way it's it, it, it's just pretty much a straight-up bowl except for a little new upper deck section that they have off of one of the end zones. It really does just follow the traditional college stadium feel where, you know, you're just so many rows back from the field and there's no extra deck. So it's really hard to get something that's that low to the ground and grounded really shaking or loud. Um, and Atlanta... They, they came out for their Falcons on, on Sunday and well, and the team gave them a lot to cheer about. That was, that's the, the next thing, which is, and I, I told you because I saw you on, saw you on Monday yep. and I said, I know you, you said you hadn't watched the game yet, but you were going to. And I told you no matter how impressive Atlanta looked or how bad of a beatdown that looked like on TV, it looked even worse in person. Uh, and I watched the highlight packages of both games here tonight um, again and watched all the highlights of that game. And it's, it, yeah, it watching it on the highlights doesn't do the justice at all to the, the whooping that Atlanta put on Green Bay. The guys, Matt Ryan's just dissecting that defense of the Packers and you guys wide open, um, which didn't quite translate 
onto the film and you know onto the TV angles when you actually saw it in person, where just guys completely uncovered on whole halves of the field. And then when Matt Ryan needed to throw the ball with precision, how he was hitting guys in stride with defenders draped all over him, uh, still allowing guys to go and make plays. And early on in that game, it seemed like the only incompletions Matt Ryan had were drops. Yes, a lot of drops. So, yeah, a lot of drops, especially in, I would say, that first quarter. There were a couple of – Taylor Gabriel had a real big wide-open drop. Uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, we call them real big, but – they ended up not being so big because all it did was set up a third down and, and, and whatever, and then they would go and score again. It was funny because right when the game started, they announced that there was so-and-so fan in the stadium um, that won some well, won some prize. Basically, his prize was on the Falcons' first drive, the guy would win $1,000 for every Falcons' first down and he'd get $7,000 if they scored a touchdown. That was his maximum. Even if the Falcons hadn't scored a touchdown, this guy was still going to get five thousand dollars <laughs> because it was. And the other thing that we noticed, you know, that I noticed in this game, is that in this game, Atlanta was just first a first down machine. Um, where at one point they put the stat up, and it was something like twenty first downs for the Falcons to two. Wow! For the for the Packers, yeah. You know, time of possession was all out of whack in that first half. <clears throat> so the game sequence breaks down like this, because this is right here. The, the whole beginning sequence of this game is where the game was lost. But you have Atlanta loses the toss, so Green Bay wins the toss. Of course, they defer, because it's. It, I don't even know why they bother asking teams anymore. I don't I don't think teams take the ball anymore on, kick, on, on coin tosses. The, the new <laughs> thing to do is defer. So the Patriots caused a, uh, an international yeah. riot because they won the toss and actually elected to receive in their game against the what? Steelers. Oh my it was God! Like, yeah, yeah, it was like a major news story. It was right up so- there with Trump. Everything <laughs> this weekend it was Trump was second, and then the Pats actually receive a kickoff was first. Yeah. So the, so Packers win the toss, defer. Falcons get the ball, go on a methodical drive, just big, big boom down the field converting multiple third downs, culminating with a touchdown. Packers get the ball. They do the exact same thing. Go right down the field. Um, Rodgers, I mean, uh, Rodgers is hitting guy, and Nelson's out there. He's gutting it out. Rodgers is utilizing all of his weapons. They kind of, they stall on a blitz. Um, So, uh, you know, Atlanta gets some pressure. Rodgers has to you know, roll out, throw the ball away, sets up the Mason Crosby field goal, which he promptly misses. Falcons then take the ball and right back down the field, kick a field goal. <laughs> Packers get the ball, march right back down on the Falcons. Looks like it's going to be that kind of game, except the great Aaron Ripkowski gets the ball yeah. Ripkowski'd out at the five-yard <laughs> line. Ball rolls into the end zone, and the Falcons fall on and get a touchback. Falcons go down and then with another drive and score a touchdown. And this was sort of the – this played into what I had predicted for the game, which was Green Bay, where I didn't have any faith in them, was that Green Bay was going to have to be so perfect because I I had that feeling that every time Atlanta touched the ball against that Packers defense that they were going to score. And Atlanta pretty much did that. And 
<clears throat> the, the, the Packers had no answers defensively, which, again, we expected. We both had Atlanta getting to 41 points. They got to 44. Yeah, um, so they, out, they outdid. They out. Yeah, they outdid even our expectations, and that would have been worse if the Falcons hadn't spent the last roughly eight nine minutes of that game just running out the clock. Right, and just and would have been playing there. Taylor Gabriel could have held on to some earlier catches. Yeah, or and and playing their typical second half Falcons defense, which was loosen everything up. The pressure wasn't there on Aaron Rodgers anymore. He started finding open guys, but the, the the whole Falcons defense was basically playing the keep them in front of you, keep them in bounds, you know, no big mistakes. And uh, they the, the Packers were able to in the fourth quarter, third to fourth, late mid to third quarter and fourth quarter pile up the yards, which overall it, it was something I was also uh, reading about. Um, about the, the the Falcons and one of these real breakdowns of what they thought of the Super Bowl was that Atlanta is partially underrated on defense because they get up so big in a lot of games that then they lose it up. So they play the stout defense early or more stout defense early, and then teams go into comeback mode and pile up huge chunks against Atlanta, making their defensive numbers perhaps look a little worse or a lot worse than they are. Um, But I saw a fast, young, (laughs) healthy Atlanta defense, and that played to your point where you you constantly talk about the hurries. And Aaron Rodgers, for the bulk of that run-up to that 31 to nothing score for the Falcons, Aaron Rodgers was under constant pressure. He wasn't getting sacked. But he was he was hurried, you know. I guess that's a good name for that stat because he didn't look comfortable. There were always bodies around him. He was always dancing in and out of pressure, um, and it caused him to make well, a Brian, lot of bad throws. Brian Poole was trying to send him to the hospital all by himself. Yeah, uh, there was a couple of that, drills. I don't I don't know how they look live, but on TV, there was a couple of pops that Poole gave to Rogers. It was like, oh my god, he was just burying him. And just, but that was the, that was the Falcons' defense. It's it's Dan Quinn's mold. It's what he did in Seattle. He's you're going to hear all about in two weeks. Get ready to hear about Dan Quinn's third trip to the Super Bowl in the last four years because of the two uh, with Seattle as a D coordinator, and now this one with Atlanta. And the defense plays just like he wants them. They play fast. They play strong. When they get a chance to lick you, they lick you. And you saw it on display in this game. It, it was. More, even more of a mismatch than I think either one of us thought it was going to be. Uh, and, yeah, like you said, the, the Falcons' defense doesn't get that kind of credit because it's at the moment it's a, it's sort of a no-name defense. You don't know there's those guys. They don't have any uh, cachet. They don't have any national exposure. They're about to get a whole lot of it in, in, in the next couple of weeks. But there, there's no Richard Sherman. There's no uh, Bobby Wagner. There's no superstars on, on this defense. There's just a bunch of young, hungry, fast guys that are ready to, to KTFO you at any time. Uh, and that's what they played like on, on Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I went back today and I was listening to our, our show because I had uh, about an hour of our pick show for this game to go back and listen to. And yeah, we pretty much had this one nailed, uh, both of us, even though I had to, you know, had to disagree with you. Um, that was out of 
just a need to keep our picks competitive, although we both saw this game almost completely the same way, although we gave Green Bay a lot more credit um, that they would compete in the game than they did. But I did talk about the – I was worried about the blowout potential of this game. And, uh, boy, we got it. I mean, we, we, we saw all year what Matt Ryan could do to bad defenses, specifically bad pass defenses. And uh, I think he shook off the the moniker of, of not being able to, able to perform in a big game because in, in successive weeks against the Seahawks and the Packers, that Atlanta offense put up 80. That's not too bad. Pretty good. <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's, that, that, that's not too bad. Uh, so did you get your chance to watch the game today? I sure did. Um, so, I wanted did, to you, did you enjoy it? As, did you enjoy it <laughs> oh, <laughs> as yeah. much as you told my <laughs> wife you were going to enjoy it? Oh, my. Well, as a Bears fan, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to ask, speaking of Ryan, was the, the I'm, I'm going to take a guess at the two loudest moments in your eyes, you you being the man on the scene, and see if, I, if, if you agree with them or not. Um, I'm going to guess it's either – the Matt Ryan running untouched for a score from 14 yards out because it's bad enough. He's carving them up through the air. Then he gets down to the near the goal line and just looks around. I don't see anyone open. I'm going to run it in and no one's going to touch me because that's how terrible the Packers defense have been playing. So it's, I'm guessing in either that or the Julio Jones uh, touchdown where he takes his dick out and just whips the Green Bay defense with it. Just hit me. here, you get some, you get some, here, you get some in the face, here, you get some. Just completely whipped it out and, and beat them all over the head with it. So I'm guessing uh, one of those two was the loudest moments of the day. I would say that those were the, I would say those were the, the big pops, you know, the Ryan keeper for the touchdown, just because that's not normal. You don't expect right. Matt Ryan to pull it down and also to run it in from, it was uh, 14 yards away, 14 or 16 yards away that he pulled that down and ran it in from. But that was again, a testament because I had my view was sort of up that sideline because I was uh, in the upper deck um, but a little bit off the corner of the end zone, but more on the sideline, uh, Falcon sideline side of the of that corner. So I'm looking pretty much at a really nice angle right down at where that play developed because that, that touchdown was on the opposite end of the field. And you saw Ryan roll, and then as soon as he pulled that down, I could see how that Packers defense was all set up. As soon as Ryan pulled the ball down, I said touchdown. Yep, nobody's around. I, I'm, <laughs> I literally saw him pull the ball down right at about you know in the, it was still in the backfield, you know. But as soon as he pulls that thing down, as he's approaching the line of scrimmage, um, I, I don't know if I yelled touchdown or but something along the lines of either <laughs> touchdown or he's got this or yep. I knew, I yep. already knew that that was a touchdown because you could just see his path to the end zone with almost no resistance. And that, you know, and then he gets in the end zone and I felt his spike from where I was. <laughs> I mean, you could see it. I don't know, I'm in a stadium all the way on the opposite end of the stadium. And I could see the energy and the enthusiasm and feel it coming out of Matt Ryan from all the way on the other side of the stadium. There's a little blip up in the upper deck, which kind of takes me back to the point uh, to before the game, because I texted you before the game. Mm-hmm. Um pointing out how incredible Matt Ryan was looking in warmups and who, you know, nobody can take anything away from that. Um, but I'm watching both teams warming up, which is one of the cool things about 
you know, being there and being at the game is you can see the teams, what they're going through for their reps. And I'm watching Aaron Rodgers, and he's hitting everything. But it looked lazy. You know, it just looked like, you know, maybe he just makes it look so easy. But it was just like, eh, you know, I'm just throwing the ball. I'm just doing my work. Matt Ryan was dropping balls to guys on, on every pass. There wasn't anything that wasn't perfect. I mean, every every deep ball guys were running to catch up to him because he's throwing the ball like it's the game it looked like. And these receivers are just kind of lollygagging. They're like, oh, shit, he's through. And all of a sudden you see the receivers kind of trotting out there, and then Ryan's just chucking that thing out there. And all of a sudden you see these receivers look up and like, oh, and then all of a sudden you see the, the afterburners kicking, and those guys are going out there and just catching that thing. Like right in the like, if if that was the ball that was thrown in the game, I mean, every single one of those throws uh, would have been a touchdown. You could see the almost rapport that he had with each receiver because every rep that he had to certain guys was the exact same. Like the ball was in the same spot. Some guys were catching it out in front um, to the tight end. He was going back shoulder on every single throw where the tight end was spinning and catching. And I'm looking down at that and I'm like, oh my god, this guy is locked in. To the point where I even texted you to tell you that in practice, I could tell um, that it might not be a good day for that Packer defense. I had, you know, I've been to a lot of football games and watched, you know, watched warmups and stuff and uh, sitting, I was sitting right above it too. So I'm looking right down at it and then I'd look over at the Packers and it was kind of, you know, just kind of meandering and guys just getting their work in. And I look back over at Atlanta, it looked like, again, it looked like I was watching surgery. You know, it's like I was watching something like I man, this look. This is the first time I'd I'd seen this live. You know, I'd seen uh, the Falcons come up here and play in the brutal cold at Lambeau a few seasons ago, um, in a game that they ended up losing by one point. Um, very close game, but it was so cold you couldn't windy. You didn't really get any sense of what these teams, uh, what that team could do. So I didn't really see anything special because it was, you know, it's so cold watching that in a, in the dome, in a controlled environment, seeing that offense. I was like, yeah, this is, this is impressive. And it, it started, started fast and it went all the way through. Practice. They look like that in practice. They look awesome in practice. I'm talking about practice, man. Not the game. Not the game. Not the game. Um, yeah, I, I saw this in uh, in uh, when I went to that last game that the uh, uh, Memphis Grizzlies got eliminated by the Golden State Warriors uh, in the playoffs a couple years ago, the year that the Warriors won the title. I saw Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson go to, to, to opposite corners and start raining in threes in practice like they were standing under the basket, just laying it up. They're just draining, draining, draining. And I'm just like, oh, my God. They are so fucking locked in. Uh, you can absolutely tell before a game the the special talents, the guys that have it and, and are locked in and, and are ready to just go do some damage. And a lot of people would never think that about Matty Ice, about Matt Ryan. We, Our guy, Renard, has been on this very show telling us how little he respected Matt Ryan. Well, everyone's got to respect him yeah. now because whatever this is, he, this might be a one-year thing. This might be the next three or four years he has a hell of a run. This might be a, a Tom Brady situation where for the next 10 years he's just dominant. We don't know. None of us actually know right now what this is. But 
he's locked in. There's absolutely nothing you can take away from Matt Ryan. He's locked in. He's been locked in all year. He is the single season uh, yards per attempt leader. He did that over the course of a whole year. And he did it in the playoffs to back it up to make sure it wasn't a fluke. They were the best team in the NFC. Cowboys be damned. The Falcons were the best team all year, and they went and proved it. And you can't take anything away from it. So it doesn't surprise me that he looked that locked in in practice. Uh, it, I can't wait for the Super Bowl because I, I actually anticipate a very, very exciting game. Yeah, I've already you're already starting to see the publicity towards uh, it's going to be a New England blowout. They got this. They're going to kill. I think, um, and I don't know if this is New England love as much as it is Atlanta hate because this is a team right. that, that that really they haven't been there in twenty years. This is only their second Super Bowl appearance. Matt Ryan, um, like you said, Matt Ryan doesn't have this reputation of being a big game winner. They have nobody really on that defense unless you're a fan of the team that you really know. Um, but what they do have, what Pittsburgh lacked, is playmakers everywhere. <laughs> you know, and, and that was what I took away from the Pittsburgh um, highlight recap. I didn't get to see the game, but when I watched the highlights, I saw a team in Pittsburgh that, that – this they they got blown out, but they, they that that was again that wasn't an early blowout. Pittsburgh had opportunities to be around in that game, and I saw a lot of one stupid play calling, really stupid play calling. <laughs> I saw a lot of Pittsburgh throwing bombs on third and shorts multiple times instead of just being focused on getting first downs and you know working that way. They just wanted too much, um, and they got greedy. But I also saw a team with the Steelers that had other than Antonio Brown in that game really didn't have playmakers. And so he's sort of locked up. Uh, Malcolm Butler did a really good job on Antonio Brown, sort of locking him up. Ben Roethlisberger just did not have the weapons. Uh, Le'Veon Bell hurt. Apparently he's been hurt for a long time. Didn't you know that? Um, Obviously. Because all those, all those weeks that he was just carving people up, um, (laughs) he was hurt. But now that, but now that they lost the, the championship game, it's worth pointing oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was hurt all the time. Yeah, we knew really? it. Yeah, we knew it. Yeah, okay, fine. So Le'Veon Bell was hurt um, <laughs> for a long time. But what you saw, yeah, I didn't see a, a Pittsburgh team that had the weapons, even though the opportunities were there uh, against the Patriots, and it's very similar to what the Patriots did the week before. It ends up getting into blowout territory because their opponent just had to keep giving the Patriots the ball back, whether, you know, well, late it was turnovers and early it was punts. I don't know, and that's what makes this Super Bowl matchup so exciting, is Atlanta is not the kind of team, especially, again, this is going to be on a neutral site in Houston. Weather's not going to be an issue. It's going to probably be, it's going to be a fast track for both teams. Atlanta, if they're as locked in in the Super Bowl as they were the previous two games, uh, they will give the Patriots a run for their money. I think that everyone believes they're going to give them all they can handle. I'm, I, I talked to you about it a little bit on Monday. I can't believe that spread is what it is at the moment. I cannot believe that. I thought it would open between five and seven, and it's been three it's, the whole yeah. time. I cannot believe so, that. So you're – 
So you're taking the Patriots giving three as almost a sign of respect for the Falcons? I have to. It's Tom Brady yeah. and the Patriots. It, this has been their destiny for I don't know how long that they're going to go to the Super Bowl, beat whoever's in front of them, and make Roger Goodell present them with the trophy. I love the crowd in New England chanting, where is Roger, once this became a blowout because they knew Roger wasn't in the stadium. <laughs> he was in Atlanta yeah. for the second week in a row because that's his safe haven, apparently. But this has been the story. This is the storyline. New England does what they do, comes through, beats whoever's in front of him in the Super Bowl, and makes Roger Goodell present them with the title. But apparently this is either – maybe it's a small sliver of people uh, being superstitious and presenting that New England can't win a Super Bowl by more than three points thing that you were talking about, uh, that New England opens up minus three against Atlanta. But no, I think it's mostly – you know, 95% actual respect for what Matt Ryan and Kyle Shanahan and the Falcons have done. Uh, and they looked incredible. Uh, you can't take anything away from it. So I, I, I respect the respect that's being shown to Atlanta right now. I would have jumped all over New England minus three if I were betting it because I think it's going to be up to close to five uh, by the time the game kicks off. But that's just how I see it. Yeah. Yeah, and just to put it in perspective, because we've talked about that performance of Matt Ryan's, but this looks a lot like a lot of his other performances this year, though. But to, to give you the numbers, 27 of 38, um, you know, 71% completion with drops. <laughs> Let's mm -hmm. not forget. That's with Could drops. Could have been 32 for 38. Uh, uh, 392 yards. Again, didn't throw for – threw for very few of those – Late in the fourth, they they were not they were not in run it up mode late in that game. Um, but there there it is again the ten point three yards per attempt your favorite stat, yeah. uh, which is not that far off of what he did all year. It's really not. Uh, four touchdowns, no picks, and again I highlighted this on the last show: no sacks. That offensive line is getting it done. They are keeping him clean, which has been the Falcons' problem for almost Matt Ryan's entire career. And uh, Green Bay couldn't get home. I actually watched, I saw it in the game, but you saw it on the highlights, actually. You saw it on the highlights better uh, than you saw it, it, it live in person, because you're focused on so many things. But when I saw it in the highlight package, you, every time you saw the Packers blitz, you'd see like they'd send everybody and like, just it was like they were all running into just an invis this invisible wall, and just Matt Ryan just standing behind it, completely untouched. Mm -hmm. Even against the blitz, the the Packers just could not get home. Um, and to your point that you made on the last show, Matt Ryan just carves up defenses when they blitz. Um, but the Pack the Packers didn't it didn't matter if they blitzed or or didn't blitz. The the best write up He's I saw all week was on the best write up I saw on Roto World uh, was on Roto World this week. Uh, we're in the breakdown of the game for Julio Jones. Um, described that 73-yard touchdown pass where he sheds uh, Gunter, Ladarius Gunter, our boy, where he sheds him at the line, uh, gets through a hold where Gunter actually has a hold of uh, Julio's jersey. There's a flag uh, on the play. It was being that. held. Yeah, gets the flag for holding, breaks across the middle, catches the ball, then completely sheds Gunter again on the tackle, <laughs> and then uh, stiff arms uh, uh, Demarius Randall, um, pretty pretty bad. Not not Tracy Porter bad, where you know he shoves he got shoved off the screen and disappeared. 
But uh, the, the way that the guy on Roto World wrote it up was that on that play that Ladarius uh, Gunter's um, that Julio Jones claimed his soul on that play. Oh, <laughs> because that was how bad that that he treated that that uh, Packers secondary. And as impressive as that must have walked, looked on TV, that play and the way that all happened and everything with the way that was going up the sideline and breaking free of everybody, uh, that was extremely impressive in person. Uh, having not oh, having not imagine. seen Julio Jones like really live. Um, like that, I'd never, I'd never seen that. And it, it, he's just a monster. I mean, there was a catch that he made where he got completely upended at, at, right, right in the middle of the field. I was in the men's room when that play happened, and there was a TV right above the stall, and you, I could feel the stadium shaking from inside the men's room uh, when Julio Jones went up and made that catch. Um, yeah, completely, uh, completely impressed with them. Um, Looking, looking forward to the Super Bowl. Um, you watched the other game, so I'll, I'll let you take that one. Uh, the uh, Steelers-Patriots. Yeah. Um, uh, before I do that, I will let everyone know that you're listening live to blogtalkradio.com slash in much less detail, our little hour-long show tonight to recap these conference finals, including the game where our man on the scene, Jay, watched live uh, as the Falcons knocked off the Packers. And, of course, the Patriots knocking off the Steelers, which we'll talk a little bit about to go to the Super Bowl. Falcons versus Patriots coming up in about a week and a half. Uh, To listen to this show as an after show or as a podcast with an after show, I should say, uh, you can subscribe on Apple products, iTunes. Just search for a much less detailed podcast uh, or you can go to any podcast app that would have our show that would be. Tune in, Mixcloud, Player.fm, Blueberry, uh, or any other podcast app that you can find. Just type in in much less detail the podcast and see if we are on that particular app and subscribe to the show. You can always communicate with us via email. You would send that to inmuchlessdetail at gmail.com. Our picks are always up on the blog, and our blog site is inmuchlessdetail.blogspot.com. Uh, I am on Twitter at IMLDJray. Jason is on Twitter at IMLDJTG. Um, and, of course, you can call into the show. We are live for another 25 minutes or so and share your opinion on the conference title games. Our guest number, as always, is area code 646-595-4534. So Steelers and Patriots actually went very similar to Packers and Falcons. Uh New England doesn't do things exactly the same way Atlanta does, but they do things very uh, regimented and uh, Brady knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's calling out of, checking out of, checking into. Uh, it's, it's all it's also very surgical, just like what Matty Ice looked like, very surgical. Tom Brady also looks very surgical. Uh, he was locked in, but he wasn't acting like a baby. He wasn't throwing stuff and getting mad. He didn't have too much reason to get mad or anything like that. But uh, he was professional. He was locked in professional. Uh, he picked on, uh, uh, I don't even know which DB. I guess they were kind of switching off the Steelers were uh, playing some sort of uh, light zone. Uh, but wherever Chris Hogan was going, that's who Tom Brady pretty much leaned on. Chris Hogan just shredded the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it, it was quite amazing to watch. Um, they started out with uh, Brady getting all the time in the world on his first snap, 
So right off the bat, the Steelers weren't getting pressure. The second snap was Julian Edelman had a catch and run for 41 yards. It, it was kind of over. <laughs> After two plays, you got the feeling the game was over because the Steelers, uh, like I said, the, the Patriots won the toss, elected to receive, shocking the world. And then that's what happens on the first two. But maybe the Steelers' defense wasn't prepared to take the field because they weren't expecting uh, to, to be out there. Uh, but they were out there, and they did not look like they were ready. Uh, the first incompletion that the, the Patriots had was a Malcolm Mitchell straight drop that, that was almost picked off. Uh, so the Patriots only get three on that opening drive. Uh, could have gotten seven because Mitchell should have caught a touchdown pass, uh, and they avoided disaster because it was almost uh, intercepted. But right off the bat, the Patriots looked locked in. Uh, Brady looked locked in. Uh, you talked about Ben Roethlisberger throwing bombs on third and one. That was the first drive that the Steelers had that went off the fingertips of Sammy Coates. Uh, it, that was one of those things where you you admire the guts when it when it's completed, but when it goes incomplete like that, you go, "What are they doing? Why don't they just get the yard? Get the damn yard! Come on, what are you doing?" Uh, so it, it is a, an all or nothing, uh, very risky, very gutsy type play. It did not work out for the Steelers and sort of set the tone a little bit. Um, and Le'Veon Bell, he, he had space up the middle, which I, I kind of figured he would. Uh, and he had uh, not that much space on the outside. The, the Patriots were able to sort of contain him a little bit. Uh, but he well, he didn't look hurt to me. I don't know what this hurt crap is that's come out, but he was looking patient and, and running pretty much the way he, he has been. Uh, it just wasn't his day because the Steelers were down so early. Uh, Three nothing and then ten nothing after Brady got all day and and found Chris Hogan uh, alone all alone from sixteen yards out um, and from that point as you already know from watching so much football in your life ten nothing conference title game you know the defense is going to be all fired up for New England after that with the lead so they started stuffing the run and now you have to go away from the run because you're trailing and it just kind of snowballs from there very few teams are. Uh, poised and together enough to come back from down, you know, multiple scores like that in a in a playoff game or a conference title game. It, it rarely happens, especially teams that are visiting uh, on the road like that. Uh, and it pretty much went the way you figured after that. It just kind of snowballed from there. When you know went downhill, uh, Hogan just kept getting open. They they threw a flea flicker. Uh, to him from 34 yards out uh, to make it 17 to six. And in my notes, I put Andy Reed really wonders why he didn't try to fool the Pittsburgh D like this. Cause this, the Patriots are making it look so easy. That same defense that the, the chiefs could not really crack. They got a couple touchdowns on them, but other than that, didn't seem to, to really be able to fool them or, or get any kind of traction against them. That same defense was just getting destroyed by Tom Brady and the Patriots, but Hey, Tom Brady and the Patriots, Alex Smith and the Chiefs. Come on, no comparison. So shouldn't really be too much of a surprise there. Uh, and then Bell was reported to – Le'Veon Bell was reported to have a groin injury uh, pretty much right after they went up 17-6. He made one run, left the game, never did come back. Um, and, that, and that was pretty much it. The, uh, uh, there, there were some plays uh, left on the field by the Steelers as well, uh, just like the Packers had their – share of plays that, that were left out there, uh, specifically that uh, Ripkowski fumble where he's read it towards the end zone and that's such a huge momentum change. The Steelers had some plays like that where they 
had guys that were open and, and Ben just couldn't hook up with them. Uh, massive run stops by uh, by the New England defense on the goal line. So the Steelers got back in that habit again of getting very, very close to the end zone, but not actually getting into the end zone. So as a result, uh, actually at halftime, both teams had three scores, but none of them were touchdowns for Pittsburgh and two of them were touchdowns for New England. And therefore, you know, 17 to nine at the half to come out and go up 20 to nine after the Steelers get the ball to start the second half, can't do anything with it. Uh, the Pittsburgh O-line had an off night as well. There's, it was not just Ben was off target with his uh, with his throws, is that he didn't have that much time because the Patriots were getting to him. Um, and, and, and from that point on, you know, you get the uh, touchdown by LeGarrette Blunt where he's carrying the uh, entire Pittsburgh defense to the goal line. Uh, and he almost got in. Uh, he, he punched it in later from two yards out. Uh, that was kind of where I nailed the the prediction as far as I'm concerned, because I said that in the second half, I expected LeGarrette Blunt to take over and, and really pound the Pittsburgh defense. He hadn't gotten much work the, the game before against uh, Houston because running up the middle of Vince Wilford, there wasn't much room there. So they had to rely on the, the, the little fleas, uh, White and, and uh, Lewis in the backfield, but they got, a chance to, to pound Blunt, and he did what he's supposed to do to put it away. Made it twenty-seven to nine. Um, uh, Eli Rogers uh, fumbles at the very next drive, and uh, Julian Edelman scores a touchdown from eleven yards out, completely uncovered to make it thirty-three to nine. At that point, it's pretty much over. Um, so the the, the Patriots the Patriots did what they were supposed to do. Surgically took apart the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers were not competitive, uh, just a, a myriad of things that went wrong as, as the game went on for the Steelers. Uh, Le'Veon Bell being injured, being one of them, but but the stuff about him always being hurt and playing through all this, uh, everyone plays through injuries. That's not something you really need to brag about unless you're just feeling so bad about the ass-kicking that you got that you want to point out that, hey, we had a, our, our guy. He was hurt. He was beat up. He he was really gutting through. I think Jordy Nelson was gutting through as well, but you won't hear the Packers talk too much about that because they got their ass beat. So it doesn't really matter that he was gutting through. Uh, but very, very impressive performances by both the Patriots and the, the Falcons uh, setting up I guess what should be an evenly matched Super Bowl, and that's why the spread is only Patriots minus three. I'm still stunned by that just because of the Patriots' reputation, uh, but I guess you give Atlanta credit for doing what they've done and, and showing that they deserve to have that kind of respect. So, yeah, it, it looks like a Super Bowl of, of very evenly matched teams, um, and I believe the over-under is 58 at the moment. Um yeah, that's it. That's earned too. There's, there's both of these teams having a back and forth battle would not be the least bit surprising uh, because they both look excellent uh, in in these in these playoff games. Yeah, and I don't see this uh, necessarily is going to have to be the type of game where it's going to be the Super Bowl and you always worry like, well, the two teams they're going to come out and they're going to be feeling each other out. No, I think both of these teams they know who they are, they know what they want to do. Um, I, I have a feeling that both offenses are going to be able to pretty much have what they want against the other defense. Um, we've seen the Falcons play tough defenses, bad defense. Atlanta's gotten 
healthy all year. Doesn't matter who they're playing. Uh, they went to Denver and, and still managed to put up decent points. They went to Seattle and almost won. So I, I'm not too and, – and then blew the doors out of Seattle in the playoffs. I'm not too worried about either one of these teams uh, moving the ball. And then you've got New England coming in there with that timing and precision. Um, and, you know, So you know Tom Brady's going to get his, and they're going to have their trick plays. Uh, both teams are going to have their stuff from the coaching side ready for the other team. Um, so it, it, yeah, it's definitely going to be really interesting uh, to see this Super Bowl. Um, but I'm with you. I, I still am surprised. I'm stunned that this is a three point number uh, because it, with Atlanta sort of being the unknown, excuse me, um, that that's sort of just hanging around out there. That, that nobody really paid much attention to this team all year. Uh, although they were they were always there, there was that brief moment where Tampa had caught them. Um, although you and I were both of the opinion that that was smoke and mirrors on the side of Tampa, and that that wasn't going to continue on. And I don't know if that point from that point that Tampa caught the Falcons in the standings. I don't think Atlanta has lost a game since. Yeah, and. Tampa had their sort of run of really good football, right. like really quality football. They had this run of about a month or so. And so they they made their move, but Atlanta just sort of put their foot on the gas pedal and ran away from them. And Tampa reverted back to being Tampa. But yeah, the Falcons aren't going to ever get a whole lot of media because they're in Atlanta. Uh, I'm I'm stunned at how great you said the crowd was at the game because the Atlanta sports crowd has got the horrible reputation of not being very excited or very interested. Uh, But you said they, they sent the Georgia dome out in style. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they sure did. They were very uh, aware of that fact in the stadium. They were talking it up a lot during the game. Uh, They were putting, uh, you know, on the video board during timeouts, they were having uh, like former players and, 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 and important figures in the area uh, talking about the Georgia dome and having it be in the last game and uh, trying to pump up the crowd. They, they kept cutting to Samuel L. Jackson in the stands. Apparently he must be a big Falcons fan. Um, he did hmm. the video board intro before the game. And then they kept cutting to him in the stands, wearing his Falcons Jersey with his hat. Um, so di- didn't know that. I don't know if he is, if he's an Atlanta guy or, you know, I'm not an Atlanta guy, and I'm a fan of the team, but uh, wasn't aware of the fact that he's a uh, must be a very big Falcons fan because his reactions every time they cut to him during the game, um, with everything going on, was yeah, he he looked like he could have been sitting in the upper deck with us. Yeah, maybe he's like you know Eddie Vedder and uh, Bill yeah. Murray and and Jim Belushi and all these guys that come out when the Cubs are great. Here we here we go with all the celebrity Cub fans out of the woodwork, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and then there's those celebrity Cub fans that have always been Cub fans, even when they were bad. So um, I, I wasn't too on. I, I didn't know all about Eddie Vedder. I, I knew he was always there, kind of lingering around, like singing the seventh thing stretch. But he wasn't like at that Bill Murray level. Ah. You know. Or or the uh, Jim Belushi. Um, now that guy, um, he's not 
someone that you want as a fan because he's such a jerk. Uh, and he's not, and he's not one of those guys that's there at all the Cub games, even when they were bad. He just kind of came up, hey, look, the Cubs are good. I'm going to go to games and be seen and be prominent. Look at me. And that's, so I don't know if Samuel L. Jackson is one of those. And he just kind of comes out now that the Falcons are hot. Hey, I'm a Falcons yeah. guy. Look at me. Look over here. I have no idea. Yeah. I hope not. I we hope also don't know. If, we also don't know if the team was just throwing money at him. <laughs> <laughs> to do it, we don't, you just don't Somebody, know. But I will tell anybody, you, come it was a, come be a Falcons fan, please. Yeah, so they, it was effective. I mean, a lot of the stuff that they were putting up, uh, you know, but everything that they were putting up, all that stuff trying to pump up the crowd and, and get pops from the crowd, would not have meant much if the team wasn't doing what it was doing. That's where the buzz was coming from, because a couple of times early in that game, where you saw Green Bay making some moves. You could feel like, okay, they're starting to, you know, they're starting to move. They're starting to quiet the crowd a little bit. You really started to feel that sort of like ebb and flow of the game. And then nothing really went the Packers' way. And you started to just feel the, the, the fans and the even the, the team. Everything was sort of just taking this back uh, from Green Bay. And uh, the Packers just, they couldn't stop them. I mean, Atlanta's offense looked unstoppable and was that a function of how good it was or how bad green bay's defense was it was to be both uh, I, I don't know i don't know as far as locked in as that atlanta team looked i don't know who was going to go in there and beat them in that game or stop them it was yeah, just more of the same matt, matt ryan finding yeah yeah matt but matt ryan was making the perfect read just about every time well, if he keeps that up uh, it, for two weeks from now, as you said, then it'll be a very long day for uh, for the Patriots. But specifically, I'm sorry, that Packers defense is awful. No. We talked about it all through the, the through the season that they didn't yeah, even we start them all year. The team didn't even start having success until they were able to start playing offenses that weren't very good, so that the defense could sort of finally have a breather and go, ah. Finally, we're not playing a really good offense. We can actually uh, play a little better than we have been. But that Aaron Rodgers run that he went on that everyone wants to give him an MVP award for doesn't happen unless the Packers play some subpar offenses because they were getting destroyed by any decent offense they were coming in contact with. So that's why that pick looks so easy for, for both of us. We both saw both games pretty much the exact same way. Uh, but that Packers defense is, is just you can't you can't win like that with guys constantly looking the other way at the at the guys behind them uh going you should have been covering that area what happened you should have been there you should have been there where everyone's just running to a uh, to a spot on the field and ignoring the fact that there's a wide open receiver over there on the other spot that somebody should have been covering it was it was just it was hard to watch frankly yeah, and it, you know, I was talking. I got back to work today now, and was talking to my all the everyone there is, of course, big. You know, they're 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 all Packer fans, and the, the overriding thing is is that doesn't matter how good that team is if that's the defense that they roll in with next year, it's going to just be more of the same. I mean, you, you may get some Aaron Rodgers magic, and just in during the regular season, that magic is good enough, and that magic was almost good enough to get them to a Super Bowl. But they they ran into a buzzsaw uh, down there in Atlanta that 
is interesting because they didn't run into that in Dallas, although you would have thought, well, Dallas would have been more equipped to handle them. Um, but you but you saw in Atlanta that you didn't see with Dallas was that Dallas didn't get off to the fast start fast start. They got started slow and they let Green Bay build that momentum where in this game you just saw Atlanta come out and look like they hadn't missed a beat at all, even from the Seattle game. Like they just took what they were doing against Seattle and just completely rolled that right into what they were doing against Green Bay and never really gave Green Bay that chance to get up or assert any sort of dominance on the game. Although Green Bay held on for dear life against Dallas and almost blew that thing. Right. I was just about to point out that Des Ryan kind of did the same thing to the Packers defense that Julio Jones did. It's just that Julio was able to do it with a lead and extend the lead, whereas Des was doing it to bring the Cowboys back from a, a big deficit. But they both kind of took out their, their dicks and urinated all over the Packers defense pretty much. Specifically, Ladarius Gunter. Ladarius oh, Gunter. boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Toast. We used to rag oh, on, was it Lemuel Stinson for the Bears? Lemuel was the Stinson worst cornerback. Oh, he was, to, we gave him the nickname Toast because every time you looked up, he was getting burnt. And Darius Gunter is the new Toast. Yeah, and, and I don't have a, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but I, I don't have a, a postseason award um, for Ladarius Gunter. I, I almost wish I did because he was that bad although i have to say he did not earn least valuable player uh this year but now that i sit here and i think about it because it is my awards he's got to be uh in the running in my mind although i know he's not going to get it so i'm not going to spoil who the award is going to go to when i do my lvp (laughs) on uh sunday night as i've had this one set in my mind for a while as far as who the least valuable player was this year but, oh, man, Ladarius Gunter pressed into duty that he shouldn't have been out there for. And then to be so thin on the back end that in the playoffs, excuse me, in the playoffs against both the Cowboys and the Falcons, you basically have Ladarius Gunter shadowing Des Bryant and Julio Jones. Uh, playoffs? Yeah, it was it was a really bad look. I'll I'll say this though: um, if you don't have the same guy Sunday night as your least valuable player that I have for the drizzling shits this year, I'd be shocked. I, I have to think it's going to be the same guy, but we'll find out Sunday. I, I'm not going to make you reveal it, anything, but it, I, it's got to be the same guy. Got to be. There's well, you know, <laughs> when you really think about least valuable, there's got to be a few guys. It can't. It, there's not just an obvious one. Last year, I I believe Neither I completely. Uh, last year, I completely stunned you with my least valuable player when I gave it to. Oh my god, I gave it to a a cornerback. Um, because I actually went stat driven last year. <laughs> um, for how awful uh, here it is. Like, last year, I gave least valuable player to Brandon Browner. Oh, <laughs> uh, and then when I and then I I pulled out all the stats as far as how bad he was and how many, uh, and that he had twenty four pass uh, penalties 
like you know that gave other teams first downs and you were basically like we're doing the math on that and that's like he's giving up one to two somewhere in that range it's one and a half but one to two first downs a game that he was granting the other team um in that Saints secondary which at that point i believe was historically bad um that 20 uh that 20 2015 uh secondary so yeah i i i can go I can go a lot of different ways when it comes to least valuable player. I will say, because uh, I don't do a uh, comeback player of the year, but I, I I do have to give credit, and I'll probably have to do it on the show as well when this award comes up on Sunday night. I do have to give complete credit to Melvin Gordon for shaking my worst rookie jinx. He broke out. He broke out. So... Yeah, um, you do not absolutely have to do any kind of revealing right now, but I'll I'll spoil myself and let you know that I would have to think that your least valuable player is going to be my drizzling shits because of how horribly unvaluable the contract of my drizzling shits is uh, because he has 72 million reasons not to suck, and he did. And so that's why I have to <laughs> believe that it's going to be the same guy. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, that is coming uh, up Sunday night. Brock, uh, that's Brock Osweiler. Um, <laughs> not to spoil anything for you, it's not Brock Osweiler. Oh my God! Really? Oh. So another, well. perhaps another stunner coming my way uh, towards you. I'm already stunned. <laughs> It is even not right, and I know how much started. I know how much you love him. And that's one of I love that show. I've actually listened to that show from <laughs> last year. I listened to the award shows multiple times because when we do um, honors, dishonors, and when we do um, Hall of Infamy, those are some of those. I, I those are probably I would say for from a football standpoint, and also because of. Uh, you know, that, that's one of our few shows that really is somewhat structured um, where you know, we've got I've got my set of awards every year. Although this year. I do have a new award, uh, so the the honors and dishonors are expanding by one more award this year. Uh, okay. I, I can I can give you a hint as to what it is. But I will be handing out a Grammy this year. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and not Antonio Brown's Grammy. In honor um, of ah. Antonio Brown and Pac-Man Jones, I now have a new category for my Grammy, and uh, I'll explain that when that happens on Sunday. On Sunday, um, I'll take the very brief uh, opportunity to pat myself on the back because you picking the Packers, although you thought the Falcons would win the whole time, but picking the Packers with the point spread, uh, you falling in that pick to me, clinched the championship for me, the handicapping championship between us. So I am the man for the third year in a row, and all I'll say to that is... You like that? You like that? Yes, I like that very much. Three years in a row for me. And on the plus side for you, not that I can't give you something without a backhanded compliment. I will say the what this is the one you've deserved the most. <laughs> 
I agree. I deserved it the most. I had a hell of a year. So yes, I, I'll you agree did. with that. You did. Uh, it was the first one of these three in a row. You didn't deserve it all, but that's you still won it. <laughs> More details on our show Sunday on the after show when we come back. to our VIP after show program. Yeah, Sunday night will be our next show, uh, 9 or 10 o'clock Central, which, uh, which we, usually, we usually do 9, don't um, we? Yeah, we or usually do 9. No, I'll definitely be home. Um, I don't have any work on Monday, but I know that's, that's usually a two-hour show. Um, yeah. Because I pretty much take up that first hour and then, you know, you, you take up uh, the back half, so... Um, I would say we're live for two hours on Sunday night for honors and dishonors, which means I would probably go with nine, nine o'clock. Because I've got, uh, let me see here. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I've got 15 to 17 categories here that I'm dealing with. Um, wow. Yeah, it's and that's sort of what I had. I don't, I don't uh, go too crazy on some of them. Some of them are no brainers. So that would be my uh, that would be my setup for this year because I do use a lot of I do use the same categories. Last year I added in game of the year and worst game of the year, which I will uh, carry over. Uh, I had suggested on last year's show adding a new category, not the Grammy. Um, but I had suggested um, as sort of a add-on to my rookie and worst rookie of the year uh, was going to be my draft steal of the year, which is sort of that low round guy that makes the big impact. So I may toss that one in there quickly as well. All right. Uh, yeah, honors and yeah, dishonors. I'm excited. Uh, I've, got, I've, got, well, I've got almost all of them completely figured out too, which could completely blows me away. For those of you uh, new listeners, if we have any, um, of course, you know about the NFL Honors Show on Saturday night, uh, where they pat themselves on the back for all the good things that they've done throughout the year and give out all their awards for all their players. And it's all happy, happy and positive, And everyone puts on the tux and acts like they're all classy and stuff. Well, then we come on the next night, traditionally, uh, and have our honors and dishonor show, because there's a lot of things that happen during the season that deserve to be spotlighted, just like all the, the honors that get highlighted on Saturday night yes. by the league. Officially, we have our unofficial awards uh, of, guys and events uh, and, and games and coaches uh, that need to also be talked about and need to be remembered for the things that they accomplished or uh, accomplishment maybe isn't the right word for some of these things, but things that they achieved or did uh, that were noteworthy in 2016. We have our own show, uh, our own podcast to, to highlight that our honors and dishonor show the most honest 
uh, award show about the NFL that you're going to find anywhere. Believe yeah. me, we cover it all, and we try to be as uh, uh, honest and irreverent and and downright rude, quite frankly, uh, as possible. And it makes for uh, we think uh, entertaining radio or podcasting. So join us live for that Sunday night, 9 p.m. Central, for this year's honors and dishonors show. And and also today. No, it didn't make the live show because it's not really pertaining to the Super Bowl anymore or the conference championships. But today, it was released in the least shocking NFL story all year long that, oh, by the way, the Miami Dolphins most likely mishandled Matt Moore's concussion situation when he was decapitated by Bud Dupree. Yes. Say it isn't so. Can, can you believe that? I mean, we talked at length about that play uh, when we broke down that game. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of my one of my coworkers, who was happened to be one of the people who was watching that play live when that when that happened, uh, was you know, looking at the news on his phone and comes walking up to me and goes, hey, look at this. I was like, oh, what's that? The Miami Dolphins are uh, being reprimanded by the league for their uh, – ignoring or incorrectly uh, using the concussion protocol um, in regard to Matt Moore in that game. And yeah, there's no business, no business being on the field to play after what had happened to him, where he's basically looking out his ear hole. Um, and, and for what everybody figured is he was basically out there either unconscious or drowsy to say the least, uh, yeah, least blend. shocking news story. Yeah. Least shocking news story of the year right there. This isn't even new. This is every star player gets to almost yeah. mandate what he wants to do, whether he wants to go back into a game or not. Cam Newton gets jacked up every week and goes right back in the game. Ben Roethlisberger gets beat around every week and goes right back in the game. Even the kid, uh, Jared Goff, uh, had a goal line dive for a touchdown in a game and got the fuck knocked out of him at the goal line. And and I believe he stayed in the game. It, this is just what this is par for the course in the NFL. This is what they do. The stars go back in, depending on what the game situation is, uh, depending on what the coach needs them to do. They don't come out and it almost, can you even imagine a world in which a star player would come out of a game for concussion protocol in a, in a very heated moment of the game or very important game. But can you imagine Aaron Rodgers got one of those licks from Brian Poole and the game was tied at 24 with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter and he got one of those licks that he took and they said, whoa, 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 before you snap the ball again, Aaron, you look a little dizzy. Why don't you come over here and let's sit down and look into your pupils for a while. And meanwhile, we're going to have uh, – who's the, the – is it Brett Hundley, the, the backup Brett, of the Packers? Brett Hundley. Hundley. Let's have Brett Hundley go in and decide this game in the last three minutes and 24 seconds while we sit over here and look into your eyes. This, that's not going to happen. The, the day and age of that happening is simply not ever going to occur because stars are too important to the NFL for them to treat them like human beings and actually have concern when they get hurt. That's just not going to happen. And every time that they act like they care about their players – stuff like that happens, what happened to Matt Moore, and you realize they don't give a fuck. 
And so why should I give a fuck? I don't I don't care anymore. I don't care that the players get beat around and have their brains dribbling out of their ears because because they don't care enough to take themselves out of games. They always want to tear back and get back in the game to play for their brothers and because they're they're uh, coaches need them on their field and they don't want to let anybody down. So they don't care. Robert Griffin III, Cowboys up with a knee shredded in about five different places and tries to play through that and winds up crumpled on the field holding him, holding his knee. They don't care. The coaches don't care because they just want their stars out there. The team doesn't care. The, the owners are sitting there in their luxury boxes. They don't care. Nobody actually cares about the welfare of these players. So I sure the hell don't care anymore. So yeah, no, no surprise for that dues to come out and Exactly zero is going to be done about it. Yeah. No, the Dolphins coaches are going to have to take classes about the concussion protocol. I, that's seriously. what I said. Exactly zero is going to be done about but it. I seriously, just that. that's what came out. That's the punishment. You got to go to class. You got to be more sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. Do they, well, they have to go to detention. Do they have to show up early? They, they'll get their hand hit with a ruler if they're not there on time. Well, I guess that's the, the the other punishment. I don't know. That, that's yeah. They they that's how much they care that they're going to send them to class. Think about how much how good class does you when as a punishment uh, when you do something bad. Like, uh, do they still do it when uh, certain driving moving violations? They send you to a class and you have to sit there. Uh, maybe if you, I, I think maybe they do it for drunk driving. You have to go to, you have to go to attend a class where they'll show you like those uh, snuff pictures of, of people getting their brains splattered all over the road after a, a drunk driving accident. You had to sit through that. That that doesn't do anything. Oh, that doesn't you mean what we had to watch street. in high school? Oh, did we watch? We yeah, saw... we sure did watch oh, those. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we sure saw the it. one, the one that I'll always remember, which was the picture of the drivers guy who. The drivers, the, the the picture of the guy who uh, ended up wrapping his mouth around a light pole, <laughs> and they showed what it looked like after that happened. When and it was like the guy had like the biggest Joker smile you've ever seen. I mean, it went ear to ear, and it was like like and his mouth was all stretched out. I thought it was fake, but it was it was <laughs> horrific. And that was just one of the many pictures that we were shown in driver's ed about like why you wear seatbelts and stuff like that. So, so, uh, so those weren't drunk drivers that we were seeing. Those are just accidents. For people I don't who know if that safely. was a, yeah, I don't know if that was specifically a drunk, but it, it was, it was bad. And I still remember it 35 years, uh, 25 years later. I still remember that. Has it stopped like you from speeding? Well, I, I'm not really like a lead foot, you know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a crazy driver. So, but if, Wait, if you've ever, I was speeding driving home speeding. yesterday. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, you know, I was doing a little over the speed limit. I would say driving home uh, from Memphis yesterday. Yeah. Do you ever stop cruise, speeding had... and think about those pictures and go, Ooh, I should slow down. I don't want my mouth to be wrapped <laughs> just, around a pole. That's right. What, what, what? Well, nobody wants their mouth. Nobody <laughs> wants their mouth wrapped around a pole. Wait, uh, that's, a, that's a whole different story. No, nobody thinks about those anymore, except to laugh at them. Nobody thinks about those pictures anymore. Uh, uh, or no. that fact, I hadn't thought about straight. it. I, I hadn't thought about it until just now. When we were right. Talking about it. Yeah, classes don't do anything. That that's literally nothing. So. 
And they don't care. I, I don't know why we're supposed to care because they sure the hell don't care. Yeah. Uh, yeah so uh, I, I also wanted to laugh on the show about your wife because she was texting me during that uh, Falcons Packers game. She's being the big, being the big uh, Packers fan and was texting me about how she's trying to drink enough beers at the Georgia Dome to drown her sorrows. And, and uh, <laughs> she tried <laughs> going through uh, that, that experience of, going all the way to uh, another region of the country to root for your team in a visiting situation and watch that said team just get destroyed. I can't imagine what that's like. I don't think I've been through something like that um, as a fan, uh, but that's, that's terrible. So you're sitting there enjoying everything that's happening, but then you have to look back at your, at your wife who's just going through it as a, as a Packers fan. So that, that was, I'm sure it had to be a little strange. Yeah, especially, like I said, sitting around, you know, I had my wife on my left. I had another group of four or five backer fans just to my right and two sitting right in front of me. And this is the group that I was in. And, of course, they're all bonding, you know, because, they're, oh, you're Packer mm-hmm. board. Where are you from? And it's like, so So I've got this whole group of Packer fans around me who've all sort of, like, bonded. And uh, the one in the lady who was sitting just to my right, you know, was, was, was just thoroughly convinced that the Packers were going to annihilate the, the Falcons. And uh, she wasn't too excited with the proceedings, I could tell. But at one point, I think it might have been uh, after Julio Jones scored that touchdown on that 73-yard touchdown that she just turned and looked at me and patted me on the shoulder and said, good job. <laughs> <laughs> I think she had... I think she had made peace. Yeah. Uh, with it. Yeah. Sure so you started to see. Yeah. After that touchdown, you started to see quite a few of the Packer fans filtering out. Uh, Mo- I didn't see a lot of Falcons fans overall leaving. Uh, everybody did a really good job of sticking around. That stadium was pretty full for the trophy presentation. Good. And then we and then we filtered our way down um, to the sideline by the field after the game, and you know got a few pictures. Uh, my wife got a picture of me smiling with the video board behind me, all lit up with the Super Bowl logo. You know, the Falcons logo was saying they were going to the Super Bowl. So I definitely got great memories of the experience. Uh, I'm sure my wife was happy to be there uh, for it. I just don't think she was uh, very happy with the result. Right, or, or the manner of. Them. I'm not going to go so far as to say that she's just devastated that they lost. I think what she was the most upset about, what she articulated many times to me that day and on the drive home, was that how badly they got yeah. beat, um, and just how they didn't show up. But I, I, I tried explaining as best as I could many times that you know they were going to play the basically what amounted to the best offense in the league with one of the worst defenses in the league and that you know maybe she shouldn't have had her hopes too high <laughs> yes by by the numbers the most explosive offense in football um yeah yeah i don't travel around and follow teams that i love like that so the only the closest thing i can compare that feeling your wife was going to, uh, going through was uh, being a White Sox fan going to those first 
Cub Sox games when they started playing interleague, uh, going to those games oh, at sure. Field and sitting there in my Sox gear, watching my team just get their basses whooped by the Cubs and having to listen to the Cub fans screaming and taunting and, and talking shit about your team. And you can't do anything about it because you're just sitting there getting whooped and you just got to take it. Just got to can't do anything. You just got to sit there and take it. And it's, it's not fun. It's it, it's a really terrible feeling. So that's that's the closest I felt. But never not in a in a championship situation like that. Not with a conference title or division title on the line. I haven't had to go through that. That that had to be pretty brutal. But hey, she yeah. had to come and to this, and eat her weight in ribs as well. To, to yeah, the next day. <laughs> yeah, we all we all pounded down the ribs pretty good. I would say on Monday it, it was it was excellent. Um, our breakfast was us standing in the parking lot of the casino on uh, Monday morning or Tuesday morning, because that was the day we drove home. Tuesday, yesterday morning, we're standing in the parking lot of the casino um, eating the leftover banana pudding <laughs> from Corky's um, to, to give us a little bit of a fix. So, Corky's on Germantown Parkway. Shout out. Oh, love that stuff. It, it, it not doesn't a, get much better. Not a paid sponsor. Not at all. Not Although, sponsor. if they, yeah, they don't need, they, they don't want need to. any advertising. Yeah. Yeah. If, if yeah, they, they want, want to, throw some money at us, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we won't say no. Oh, that's some good eating, boy. Whew. Um, full slab and that banana pudding was, was off the chain. Nice, very sizable portions, too. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't go hungry. I, I definitely put on a few pounds on that trip. I'll, I'll it, that is a confirmed. I gained you know a couple pounds there. I knew I would. I have a couple. Uh, oh yeah, I had a couple of Christmas stories I, I've never gotten around to because we had so much football uh, going on the last few weeks. Um, if you're able to stay up and hold on to us, they're not too long. One of them I definitely need to. to ask you about because I actually have to ask you about it and ask your input about it. It's got oh. to do with retail and you being someone oh, that's worked in real t- retail. Oh, yeah, I, I need some uh, some answers on this because I don't understand it at all. So uh, Christmas Eve is the, the, the one thing you don't want to find yourself doing around the holidays is find yourself in the streets for any reason on Christmas Eve, because it's crazy. It's people are running around doing all their last minute shopping and it's, it's hectic. And no matter what store you go to, it's busy and it's crazy. And by my own laziness, I found myself out on the streets on Christmas Eve, unfortunately, uh, because we have this uh, stool uh, in our kitchen that my wife has had. She had to, before I even moved down here six years ago, she had a stool to, uh, to sit on uh, to wash dishes because nobody wants to stand up at the kitchen sink and wash dishes. And maybe a couple months ago, that stool uh, finally gave way and, and, and broke, but it was a situation where w- one screw came out and like the, the washer that keeps it in place on the other side uh, came out, but I couldn't find that washer, but I could find, I found the screw on the floor. And so instead of going to, to get a new stool at that point, I kept sticking that screw back in place and using that stool and kind of sitting on it gingerly, hoping that that washer would turn up somewhere on the floor at a, at a later date. And it just happened to get to uh, Christmas Eve 
where I finally sat on that stool, the, the, the screw popped out and I couldn't find it anywhere, no matter where I looked on our kitchen floor. And our kitchen is not that big, so I'm still kind of uh, weirded out or, or shocked that I couldn't find that screw. But it finally happened where that screw popped away and I couldn't find it at all. So now um, I'm with the the prospect of sitting up a, a folding chair in the kitchen and trying to do dishes, which is, wasn't going to work because the, the sink is too a little too tall to do that or else standing up there doing dishes. And who wants to stand up there doing dishes? So I'm, I'm sitting there Christmas Eve. I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to go online and order a stool. But who knows when it's going to get here? And Walmart is closed already at that point. This is in the evening after I got home from work. Uh, and online, I happen to see that Target is actually open until 11 o'clock in the evening on Christmas Eve. And my wife then does the research on the Target website, and I, I can only take her word for it. She said that she found at the address of the Target store that's closest to our house. She said she could look up on the Target website by address and find that at that store, there was this specific stool that she saw that was that would be perfect because it was looked like it was big enough. It, it would, you know, the weight capacity would be good for us, and it was you know, basically cheap enough. It wasn't, you know, $200, like some stools we were, we were coming across. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll go over there and uh, I'll drive right now. I got in the car and then drove to target on Christmas Eve at, at 10 o'clock at night. So it's typically crowded and busy as you would figure. She even, uh, my wife even said, here's the aisle number according to the website where it's going to be. You want to go to aisle like D83 or something like that and find this particular stool. Okay. I go into the, I go into target. I go down the aisles. I, it took a, a while to figure out the numering system, but I find the, the D aisles in the eighties or whatever, and finally make my way to D83. The stools aren't on D83. However, I go over to like D87 or something like that. And I find some stools that, that look like what I'm looking for. I don't see the exact stool that we were looking for, but I see a bunch of stools and they're sitting, some were sitting on top of a shelf and some were sitting underneath the shelf. But that aisle is basically full of stools and they're all tied together by some sort of plastic tie or something like that. Yeah. Are those the, like the ones on display? Yeah, they look like they're the ones on display, but I didn't see any other stools, so I figured, you know, this is what this is what I need to to be at. I just, this is the aisle I need to be. This is what I need to to, to get. And I see. Uh, do you uh, do you know what we call those in the industry? <laughs> What's that? Stool samples. Serious. Thank you. So I'm standing there in the aisle. Uh, it's 1030 at this point. The store is about to close. And I'm looking around for somebody to give me some help. And finally, I see a red phone that I'm supposed to pick up and call if I'm in the area of that store and I need some assistance. And I pick up the red phone and I make a call to find somebody to assist me. So sure enough, 
some guy comes down. It actually had an automated message that said, somebody will be with you in under 60 seconds, which I thought was very specific and interesting. But sure enough, within 60 seconds, here comes some guy in a, I, I guess, a red target vest. I don't even remember at this point, but he was a target worker. He was a, he was an official worker there, and he comes walking down the aisle, and he says, may I help you? And I say, yeah, I see these stools here that are uh, uh, tied up, and, I, and I'd like to know... Uh, you know, do you have these uh, in stock? Uh, do you have anything in the back? Uh, or, or if not, I'll just take one of these uh, that are actually sitting here already tied up. And he says, well, I don't believe we have any of these stools in stock. And he's looking on this little handheld device. And I guess that is, that's telling him what's in stock back there as far as those stools go. And he, he goes ahead and checks. He says, I don't believe we have any of those in stock, but let me sit here and check on my little thing. And he checks on his little thing. And there's uh, apparently no none of those tools in stock and i say okay well that's fine this one right here uh that appears to have this price below it uh this look this looks like exactly what i need it's not exactly the one i was that i saw online but it looks close enough to what i need can i just take this one he says well that's tied it's it's those are tied up those are all tied uh with these little plastic ties or whatever so those those aren't actually for sale you can't buy those and i said well, um excuse me and he said, yeah, you can't actually, if they're actually tied up with plastic ties, you can't buy any of them. They're just for display. I said, okay, well, uh, so how would I know that that's, uh, if this stool is actually for sale? Because I'm in, I'm in a store that's showing me stools, and I'd like to buy one of the stools. And he's telling me I can't buy the stools that are tied up because they're just display stools. I said, well, how do I know what stools are, are just for display and what stools I can actually buy? And he says, well, you'd have to ask me each one of the whatever stools if we have it in stock. And then I'd go back there and check to see if we have it in stock. He's telling me this as he's walking away from me because he knows the next question after that is, well, what about this stool? Do you have that inside? Well, what about that stool? What, what, what about? There's, like, there's like 12 stools there, uh, top and bottom. And they're all tied up with plastic ties. And from what he's telling me, apparently I can't buy any of those stools because they're tied up. But I can't actually know if any of those stools are in stock in the back because I have to ask him individually about each stool. But I can't do that because he's literally running away from me as he tries to get as far away as possible because he knows the store is about to close and it's Christmas Eve and he wants to get the fuck home and he doesn't want to have to deal with me anymore. Which I guess I understand on an intellectual level, but it gets me just to asking you, the person that's been in retail for a long, long time, what's the deal with display chairs and you can't buy it if it's under? Why, why is it out there? Why am I going to a place <sighs> trying to buy stuff yeah. and I can't actually buy it? I don't get it. I, you know, and I'm, and again, I, you know, work in retail, so I'm, I'm real hit and miss, you know, on on floor displays because. You know, there's two trains of thought that I always have to go by on floor models in my line of work. I don't know if Target's going to be this detailed. Now, if they're using the idea that that's a displayer model that's sent to them maybe by the manufacturer, it's not an inventory piece, uh, or it's more of a mock-up where it's not actually the item, you know, it'd be like trying to buy like a cell phone display <laughs> where... It, it's really not a functional thing. It's more of a place right, that's where not I can work. get that, where it's not stock. Um, I, I've always got the opinion that if it's one of my best-selling items, 
I will not sell a display. You know, it's one of those you win the battle and you lose the war kind of scenarios. If it's just something I really don't give a crap about and I can make a sale off of it and I, I'm not going to be hurt too bad by not having it anymore or I've so got another one it. that I can get in a few days, absolutely no problem. But if it's something that I know I'm out of stock of, but we, I'll sell a ton, a ton of that item no matter what, I will keep the floor model. I know I piss a lot of people off. I won't let them take the display um, because that's one of those where I may well, I may, I may sell one right away and get that instant gratification, but then I'll cost myself ten more where somebody would be willing to wait because most often or most often people won't buy something if they can't see it. Oh, unless it's like a deep catalog item. You know, if it's a, if it's a deep catalog item and somebody knows that they're ordering it off of a website or off the computer screen or out of a book because it's a catalog piece, um, people don't care. You know, and if somebody does pull that out, that's a real quick explanation. Like, look, I don't sell many of these. I'm not going to order one of these just for you to look at it and say no, because if you don't buy it, no, you know, this is one of those one of those things that we might sell once or twice a year. I'm not going to just order one for you just to look and feel it and then decide you don't want it. And then I'm stuck with it. Because once you buy something from the manufacturer, it's yours. All right. I so, get that. But, but I, but I, guess I also deal that. with a lot bigger boxes. I'm not dealing with a small thing, you know, a, a small type of item like, like a Target. And honestly, in my line of work, if somebody came into a store like I work at and wanted a bar stool off the sales floor on Christmas Eve night, we wouldn't care. Like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We're going to have this bar stool. I don't know why they care. That's what I'm wondering is that dude, why are these stools out here if I can't buy any of them? You have 12 stools set up here and that you're telling me I can't buy any of them. Why are they here? If I can't buy them, why are they here? Take them in the back. Take them, take them out of my eyesight. I don't understand that. At all. That's the point that I don't get is why do you have something displayed that no one can possibly buy? I mean, that's like... It's and it's Target. You may have, you may have too high of a <laughs> too high of a ambition for for target possibly yeah. but like if i yeah. go to a, of a to a grocery store and go to an aisle and see all this cereal displayed and then they tell me i can't buy any of that cereal because they don't actually have it in the back why is it out here why why do you why would you let me see something that i can't actually yeah. buy what's the point of that i don't i don't get it but so that's my little <laughs> rant about yeah that. right so you had the idea you had the item that you wanted you knew which one it was and they that wasn't even there. They didn't have that, it. They didn't have that. But they, but they had a whole bunch of have, others just like it. That uh, I said, okay, fine, I'll take one of those. Could and they said, could no, they have can't have it. Could they have ordered it for you? He wasn't interested in discussing anything further once he once he ascertained that I wanted to buy one of those stools that were tied up and I couldn't buy one of those and I was going to ask him about any other stool that I could possibly buy in the back which would force him to go through the work of finding other stools in the back he was no longer interested in service me. yeah and, and don't forget him too I mean you're a target so these guys the, the, the you know basically you're getting like what the pimply faced teenagers who yes. don't want anything to do with you um they're getting yeah, so paid by the hour. The he, they could uh, care. He, he, they could care less whether you buy it or not. He looked like he just came from the from the community college down the road. Yes. Oh, nice. So, well, 
so it I is what it is. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, you did. I did. God, that just drove me crazy. So I wound up having to go home, drive drive back home on Christmas Eve at night in fog uh, behind cars that were driving 10 miles an hour because, again, in the Mid-South, any kind of weather conditions make you have to drive like a complete moron. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, not a fun night. Not a, I, didn't, I already knew I didn't want to be out in the streets on Christmas Eve, but I went out there anyway just for this stool. And when they didn't have that, I didn't buy anything else. I ran through six miles of store at Target to get back there to the stool section. And once that didn't work out, I didn't buy anything else. Of course, you could you walk by a whole bunch of stuff that you'd want to just pick up and buy just on impulse. I didn't buy any of it. I was like, fuck all of you. Fuck this store. <laughs> fuck everybody that works here. Fuck everybody in this neighborhood. Fuck everything. I am not buying anything. Because I was just that pissed at that whole situation. Just, ugh. So I wound up having to go home and order a stool and wait a week for that. So, but it's working great. So Target had a sale; they could have had something, but they they chose not to. It's their loss. Your loss, Target. I'm sure they're all broken up about it. I know, I know. Could have could have had a whole whole lot of my money, whole fifty sixty dollars of my money, and uh, chose not to. And it's going to put them under, going to put them out of business. Oh yeah, what are they going to do without that money? Yeah. Uh, something else that happened around Christmas time that I never thought would happen to me, and then I can uh, let you go and, and, and cut this show off. Uh, I couldn't believe that I ever would go through a situation like this, and it's not, it's not a big deal. I'm, not, I'm I'm hyping this up way more than it actually is, but but it's just something I never thought would happen. So we're bowling. Uh, I knew that we were bowling. Our team was bowling against uh, a blind team. And what that means is we have a, in our league, we have an, an odd number of teams. And so every week somebody bowls against quote unquote, the blind team, which is, a, which is nobody. You're bowling against uh, absolutely nobody. And you just have to come within a certain number uh, of your own average uh, in order to win the game. Uh, so I knew that on a particular week uh, after Christmas, the Wednesday after Christmas, that we were bowling a blind team. My wife has asked me several times if she could come up and watch uh, bowling, not because she really needs to see her husband bowling, but because she's been bored on certain Wednesday nights and just wanted to come up and, and spend some time with me. And I said, I, I wouldn't mind having you at all. All these years I've said I wouldn't mind it. It's just that we have no space at our bowling alley. We don't have like uh, it's sort of an older bowling alley. We don't have like spectator seating. So uh, there's really nowhere for someone to sit that isn't actually bowling on the team. We have enough chairs for everyone that's actually on uh, each team. And that's that's about it. That's about all the space that we have as far as seating. Uh, so I always just sort of discouraged her from going. But knowing that we were bowling against the blind team, uh, I said, yeah, you know what? You, you want to come uh, watch me bowl. I know we're going to have the space because we're going to have four chairs at our lane that's not going to be used by anybody. And she said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll come. Actually, she said she will come. Then she uh, texted me and said she had changed her mind and was going to uh, Panda Express and what did I want uh, for dinner from Panda Express. And, and then uh, later on, she goes, I I'm at the bowling alley. I'll see you when you get here. I'm like, well, I, I thought she had brought the Panda Express to the bowling alley and was going to eat it with me in the bowling in the in the parking lot or something. Uh, but no, she just she did one of those woman things, and she just changed her mind and decided to come on and and watch me bowl, which was fine. I was I was happy to have her there. Um, so I'm, I'm I'd introduce her to everybody uh, that came around, and uh, everything's going fine. We're we're bowling quickly. We're gonna get out of there because we're uh, uh, 
bowling against nobody. Uh, and somebody makes a, a, an appearance all of a sudden, somebody we've talked about briefly on our show. Uh, you remember us talking about, uh, you remember me talking about a woman at our uh, alley that is a, is a Midwest person like me that grew up in Wisconsin and lived in Indianapolis for a long time and dated someone from Chicago. So she had a lot of uh, knowledge about Chicago and whatnot. And uh, she's a football fan and she cannot stand the Minnesota Vikings. And she specifically cited uh, that she thinks they're a bunch of thugs. And she cited the, the sex boat as the reason why she thinks the Minnesota Vikings are always a bunch of thugs, which well, we, I, I found we strange. We love the sex boat. We love the, the sex, sex boat around. will never die. The sex boat will never die. It's always going to be a, a, an item of, of, of conversation. Uh, so that, so I'm, I'm bowling and I, I throw a, a ball and I turn around and start coming off the lane. That same woman that has come up on our show before comes absolutely running out of nowhere. I didn't even see her coming. I hadn't uh, stepped off the lane yet and was not anticipating this at all. She comes running out of nowhere, literally jumps into my arms and is talking about Merry Christmas and, and then very happy and very excited to see me and whatnot. And looks down at my shirt and goes, Merry Christmas to my favorite Bears fan. And at that point, I realized I was wearing a Bears t-shirt. I didn't even realize it. And I think that might have been why she did that, is she saw the Bears thing and wanted to run over and sort of bond and talk about the Bears and, and stuff like that. Uh, because she doesn't hug me when we see each other all the time. I mean, maybe once before or twice, but that's not something that we do is greet each other by running into each other's arms like that. But this occasion, she decided she just happened to uh, see me and run onto the lane and wish me Merry Christmas uh, because I was her favorite Bears fan or what have you. And I'm just like, uh, thank you. I'm very happy to, to see you too. This is my wife over here to see this is can i introduce you to my wife i'm very loudly letting her know that this is my wife uh, while you're running into my arms like this and 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 she's a thin attractive, <laughs> attractive blonde woman running in my i never thought i would be in a situation where i would be like having to defend myself or or let a woman know not to be too amorous in public because my wife is sitting i are you kidding me somebody actually wanted to run up on me like that i was just blown away like that uh, and my, but my wife is is not the jealous type, or you know, she's very intelligent, and she, you know, she knows what's going on. I think if she, if she thought I was BSing her, she would know. Uh, I I could never lie to her because she would know before I would even get it out of my mouth. Uh, so she knew it was innocent, and and there was nothing going on or anything. But I, it was just, you, it was like a sitcom. It was like an episode of Seinfeld that uh, you, you're sitting there with your your girl at the bowling alley. You never brought her there before. Uh, and this is the one time you happen to bring her. And here comes this woman running out of nowhere and jumping into you. The only way it would have been uh, better is if she would have, like planted a big wet one on my lips, but she didn't do that. Uh, but it was bad enough. The, the, the optics was bad enough that she's running into my arms like that. And uh, uh, but but everything was good. She she's saw my wife and I and she was very. Uh, I get the impression. I don't know how to say this without sounding. Uh, insulting, but uh, the, this woman, I get the impression she knows how to talk to the wives of other men. Uh, she she oh, struck okay. me. As, 
She knows how to sort of diffuse a situation. She she she's, strikes me as she's, she's navigated. She's navigated these waters before. Is that what you're? She strikes me as that type that has had to deal with the uh with the angry girlfriends or spouses of of men that that she's been close to. Yeah. Um, okay. So she was. <laughs> so she was fine with my wife. She said, "You have a you're a very lucky woman. You have a great husband." And then you know, laying it on like that and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and so everything worked out okay. My wife still hasn't mentioned the incident to this day, but it's one of those things you, I kind of figured somewhere down the road is going to come up. We're going to have some argument about eggs or something. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You're Mr. Popular at the bowling alley with blonde women. Yeah, you you just, I, I know what you're all about. What, huh? What, what, what are you talking about? So it's in the bank now, so I'll, I'll have to deal with it at some future date, possibly, but but it was oh. just funny. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's things, there's some things that you just, yeah, never come quite out of the memory bank. And they are leveraged against you for all time now. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's in the bank, unfortunately. But, but it was still kind of funny. And and, I, and to be frank, it's a little thrilling. Uh, have a, to, to attract a blind woman, run into your arms. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. A little, a little yeah. bit of an ego boost, huh? Yeah, I, I would never tell that to the wife, but yeah, that's pretty cool. What? And since she doesn't listen to the show, you don't have to worry about it. We talked about that at dinner. There's zero chance yes. she's listening to the show. Zero chance. Right. So, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything? Well, else? yeah, because our wives are. Well, you know, our wives are both of the opinion that this is strictly a football show. Um, which uh, that's I'd say about what about sixty percent true. Yeah, there's you know there's enough football to dissuade someone who doesn't care for football from listening. However, it is absolutely not all football. No, not at all. You know, it, it is very sports heavy. I mean, because when we're not talking, you know, during the off season when we're not talking about football, we're talking about college basketball, baseball, wrestling. Uh, we do have our one Oscar show, which is always hilarious because we've never really seen movies in the Oscars, but still end up having an hour-long conversation about movies. There's some great movies that are going to be up for, for the Oscars when they announce them. I haven't seen a one of them, but there's some great movies. I'm really looking yeah. forward to it this year. They already announced it. See, I had no idea. <laughs> but they're great. I know they're going to be great. No, just I've heard about uh, uh, Moonlight. I've heard about Hidden Figures. I've heard about uh, was it uh, Manchester by the Sea? Uh, I've heard these are all oh, sure. really, I've heard really of all good the movies. movies. I haven't seen a second of any of them, but that's why we have a, a movie expert now. We have Dave, the movie expert, who has who by the time we do our show has seen most, if not all, of those Oscar-nominated movies because yeah. he's a real uh, cinephile, a, yeah. a real movie expert. And you know, so he can and I, shed some light on them. And with internet now, I, I could probably dedicate myself um, to, to renting some of these movies and, and, and watching them. But I just don't have the I just don't have the time. I, I would spoil don't. the show. I, I don't. Yeah, I would spoil the show if I came into that Oscar show actually knowing the movie, because then it would basically be me and Dave talking for an hour. Right. The, the charm of the show is that neither one of us. Yeah, right. But, uh, so we're bringing yeah. someone on. We're bringing someone on to uh, almost educate us about the Oscars. 
that's the that's the charm of it to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but the charm of it is it's a it's 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 two sports guys talking movies for an hour that that they, that they haven't seen, and that's to me that that's it's different. It's something different. We're not movie experts. We're not sitting there talking about the the lighting and the setting and the and the blocking of the, oh, yeah. of the film and we don't know anything about any of that. So, so that's the charm of it, as far as I'm concerned. You can go so many other places to listen to the podcast and people who actually know movies talk about it, but it's a different perspective when you come listen to us to talk about movies because it's a perspective of not having seen any of them. I thought we had a real good conversation yeah. last year about some of the movies that were nominated, like Brooklyn and. Uh, uh, oh yeah, Boyhood. especially when we're trying to guess. Especially when we're trying to go, yeah, Boyhood. <laughs> especially after I posted <laughs> on our uh, one of my favorite uh, from one of my favorite websites uh, when I posted there uh, the, them talking uh, for a real long stretch about Boyhood and why it's always the best movie of all time. Very sarcastically, by the way. Um, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I do. I'm very aware of movies, and that's the trick. Is I, I follow movie news, I, I go to movie sites. I just don't actually get to watch the movies. And we would do a Grammy show if we had any idea what the what the parameters are for for who gets nominated and who actually wins. But I can't make heads or tails of it. That's why I don't want to do a Grammy show because I don't know what's uh, you whatever the five songs for for song of the year is. I have no idea what they're determining what gets the, the win, what, what win song of the year over the other four. I don't know what they're looking for. So I can't really, you know, right. I can't really comment. Right. We don't, and that's the trick with stuff like that, with the Oscars, the Grammys, anything that's some sort of subjective like that. So you don't know really what the criteria are, you know, what makes, what makes one movie better than another? What makes one song better than another? other than the ear or the eye of the actual group of people who are watching those movies. You could take any group of people and, and, and put, take another group of people and another group of people and show them all the same group of movies or the same group of songs and get totally different answers. So that's, that's, that's sort of what's, what's amazing. Yeah, the uh, the difference or what makes the Academy vote for this movie over that or vote for this song over that song, I completely lost on me. And I'm thinking lost on, you know, 99% of the population as well. It's not just me. Yeah. Okay. That was a, this is sort of the official end of my trip now, now that I've had the recap of the weekend and everything and um, back to work, back in the flow. Yeah, um, I'm going to work on getting to bed here. Sounds good to me. Uh, Sunday night, remember, 9 p.m. Central for Honors and Dishonors, the sort of unofficial NFL award show, the one that they don't want you to, they don't want you to hear our show because it's not going to be uh, very complimentary of, of a lot of the guys in the NFL. So if you're into that type of thing, tune in. Sunday night, 9 p.m. Central, 10 p.m. Eastern for that. And, of course, our uh, Super Bowl pick show next weekend, Super Duper Bowl 51 uh, from Houston, yes. Texans. Uh, 
where we pick who we like between the Falcons and the Patriots. And as you were telling me uh, at dinner, we get to go completely honest this year since the, the handicapping contest is finite and I've got that clinched away and we can just go straight on our pick show for the Super Bowl, exactly how we see it, exactly who we want, uh, not having to shade it one way or another based on uh, trying to catch somebody in the, in the handicapping contest. So, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I would like it to be competitive uh, other than, um, you know, running it up on you the first year. In the podcast version, it's going to look like, uh, obviously, since we started doing the podcast, I won the first year and you've won the last three. Uh, although when we started the first few years with the blog, I was a little, I, I was more dominant in the blog years <laughs> over right. you. So it ebbs and flows. So people want to mm-hmm. listen to the show like, oh, look, Andre's won the last three. Yes, you've won the last three out, you know, but this is 25 years plus now doing this. So, yeah, you've won three in a row. And uh, um, I, I won the first year of the podcast. Wire to wire, just like you went this year. So what you did to me this year almost completely mirrors uh, what I did to you the first year of the show. That was the way it started. Uh, huge chunk of games in week one and never able to recover exactly what you did to me this year. Yep. It does even out over the, uh, the many years that we've done this. I I don't think one of us is more than one or two years ahead of the other, as far as accumulating how many years we've won. So, but I am on a, on a hot streak for these last three years. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah. You put in all the work. So you have no reason not to kick my ass every year now. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. All right. He's Jay. I'm Dre. This has been in much less detail the podcast. Thank you all for listening and come back here Saturday night for NFL honors and dishonors. We will talk to you then and week and a half until the Super Bowl. Get ready for that. We will talk to you later, guys. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.